The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Topop. Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Topop. I'm Will Anderson, uh, the host of the program, and joining me once more, our returning guest Charlie Clawson. It's uh, Matt Kershen. How are you, sir? Hey, well, I'm good, mate. That felt a little bit more uh, grown up, like I was doing. Uh, this is NPR. This is uh, grown up people's radio. Well, you did. You did some NPR while you were while we were both away. Accidental NPR. Yeah, I, yeah. I was rebroadcast on NPR. Does that actually count as an NPR I credit? I think it does. I guess it's the same as if you do like BBC News Hour, and it gets. Well, it's basically like no, it's like I got sampled in a Black Eyed Peas song. Yeah, like I've had a lot bigger. Which also happened, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> That's, Not how, a hit. that's how little they're trying now. Yeah. They're just sampling podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> And not they've even adding beats a, or anything. They just like put it out as it is. They've just done a remix of me saying today's guest Charlie is and then inserted <laughs> different names. It's basically like a Billy Joel track. It's like we didn't start the fire of this generation. <laughs> but it's just an obscure track. Uh, Will I Am. We share a name actually. So maybe that's how he stumbled upon. That's to, true. Yeah, I Am, Will I Am. Also. And a sense of identity. Yeah, both those things. Yeah. yeah, we both come from a very similar background. Uh, no, yeah, I was. When I was in uh, Canada, when I was in Toronto, I went on a show on a, uh, it was called Q, and it's a very popular national arts broadcast hosted by a guy called Shad, yep. who took over from a guy who had uh, some Let's sort of... say a of, dubious history. I believe some sort of Bill Cosby scandal. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so, but uh, I did not know much about the background of that, but I did hear that it was a very popular program and people seemed to be impressed that they had invited me onto it. Yep. You know, when you agree to something, but you don't know how big a deal it is at the time, and then increasingly in the process of it, it starts to dawn on you. Yeah, you're how- like, why is the other person on the show with me famous? Right. <laughs> <laughs> And it was one of those things with me was when they said, okay, and they're going to call you for your pre-interview uh, the day before. And I'm like, hang on, I've agreed to something that has a pre-interview? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I've really agreed to many things that have pre-interviews before. Like, am I doing Letterman? Yeah. Am I doing a, Is Letterman coming back to do a surprise edition? We, we should ex- explain um, a pre-interview is what happens a lot on, on the talk shows where the talent coordinator will phone up the person who's going to be the guest in advance and do the entire interview and then it's kind of recreated by the famous person on TV. Yeah, and it's quite an interesting thing because you don't really know. I mean, the way this particular pre-interview was done, there wasn't that sort of thing of like, do you have anything funny that happened to you recently? Yeah. This is an art show where they genuinely want to talk about the process and the way that your art is put together. And I mean, they played clips from my stand-up and reference specific bits and I didn't realize that like I mean, they dropped the F but like I mean, I dropped the F bomb. Yeah. Like, so so it's going to be bleeped presumably in the broadcast. Well, no, it was going out. Well, what happens? I guess they beep it in like the studio, right? I'm, I'm, they must do. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I'm trying to think because I listen I to mean, the show. because it's crazy shown... Canadians, you know. Maybe they'd beep, they'd beep it on NPR. Yeah. 
I get I get an extra I get the NPR beep and bump. <laughs> That's what I get. Well, maybe it's that thing as well where it's in an Australian accent, so they don't really see it as swearing. Oh, maybe that. Yeah. Oh, that means something different down there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I've had it before gigging in America where I finished. But I think because of my accent and my general demeanor, I've done a, I've done shows where I finished with like three minutes of sex jokes and then a joke with the word cunt in it. Right. And then still had people come up afterwards going, I like how you didn't use profanity. Right. And I'm like... Well, it's not profanity if you do it in an accent. Yeah, it's just like, oh, he's adorable the way Look he uses him. that word that we'd normally loathe. Right. <laughs> Drop the N-word. <laughs> See how that sounds coming off your British tongue. Oh, it means something different to us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know what? That was a bit of advice I actually got very early on when I was doing a show. Uh, I had a, a line. Oh, um, in Australia, the Greeks and the Italians uh, like reclaimed, like American rappers reclaimed the N word in America. They reclaimed the W word, wog. I am, um, uh, and there was a series of shows called Wogs Out of Work, and and Who Let the Wogs Out, and hilarious things like that. And it became like you know everyone kind of like you know you would use the term wog. And it wasn't sort of seen as like even really a racial epitaph. Now there'd be some debate over that, but like, but that's how it was more broadly viewed. And I had a joke that referenced that word, not in a derogatory way. It was making a point, but still referenced the word. And when I first went to the UK, people were like, "You know what? That yeah. that word means something different here." Yeah, and it, <laughs> and it literally does. Like it's a refers right. It's refers to a different racial group, even like it's. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because there are because there are other ones to be aware of. Like it, in, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in Australia, it's not in it. It's not a slur to shorten Pakistani to to Paki. To Paki. Well, we used to re- we would refer to on the television and stuff, the, like the, the, the cricket the, match, the cricket. We're playing the Pakis. Right. It's the Aussies versus the Pakis. Whereas in Britain, that is very much a racial slur because also not only is it used as a racial slur, but it's used by racists. To refer to, to slur people. Anyone, yeah. <laughs> like, Not only is yeah. it a racial slur, uh, but it's also used by race, yeah. racists in a way to, <laughs> to, to, to mean and slur other people. But here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not only am I making a point, but I'm also, there's a point being made by me. But uh, no, but it is used, it's used in Britain by racists to refer to anyone vaguely brown. Right. Right. Like, they'll use it to refer to Indian people, ignoring that, A, they're different countries, B, they're enemies. Right. <laughs> at least, yeah, exactly. Or at least historic enemies. Yeah, absolutely. There's some fighting on the border, guys. Yeah. <laughs> they're not the same people. Uh, yeah, that's a, it is a really interesting thing. And I'm, look, and here's the thing, probably even in Australia now, I, I, I think you wouldn't see a TV promo for the Aussies versus the Packies. Right. I feel like that's something that isn't said now, even though it was never real. I can't even remember it ever being used in Australia. Like, even... Like, I mean, this sounds like a horrible racial epitaph, ep- epithet, epithet. Yeah. not epitaph, <laughs> epithet. Um, uh, it, it sounds like a really horrible one. But in Australia, the way that I guess it was, again, because of cricket, because of this shared affinity for cricket, like people would go to the cricket and call Indians like curry munchers and stuff. Right. And like, but not. I mean, I know that when I say not in a racist way, there's got to be an element of that that is clearly still racism, but but not in a way that was filled with hatred. Well, context. Not in a way that thought what they were saying was wrong. Now, what they were saying may well have been wrong. In fact, probably was wrong. But they weren't saying it with the intent to hurt or demean, at least in their own, you know. Well, both context and intent are everything. So, like, I mean, the most obvious case of that being someone who is a member of that group having license to use that word in a sense so obviously that's the ultimate of contextual right. when the specific word is bad or not but also it depends on the history 
of of the words usage and the history of the behavior between the various racial groups in that country. So in uh, it Britain, Britain definitely had a huge problematic history of racism towards people from the Indian subcontinent, Indian Pakistan, Bangladesh. There was a lot of immigration in the mid-1900s particularly, and then a lot of racism that brewed up around that, and, and those and, are the words that got used, and so and they carry mix, extra extra weight. mixed with the historical context of uh, yeah. colonization and stuff like of that, course. which adds like yet another historical level and layer into, and context yeah. to the relationship that... I mean, you know... Australia benefited a lot of the time from a, 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 from the fact that a lot of people who immigrated there had never been enemies or, right. you know, it's like my football team in Australia, the Western Bulldogs, everyone loves my team. And I'll tell you why everyone loves my team. They've been in the competition a hundred years and they've won once. Right. No one, like they've won one premiership and they've been in two grand finals in a hundred years. You know why everyone likes them? Everyone thinks they're their second team. Oh, I love the Bulldogs because you have no bad memory of us beating <laughs> you in anything important. Like, that's why you hate, you know, and that's, Australia had that for a while. It was like, well, no one really kind of, like, hated us because we hadn't, like, colonized anywhere else or we hadn't, yeah. like, you know, had that historical sort of context to that, which Except makes the relationship... Except for certain sort of Aboriginal peoples, but... Oh, well, I mean, yeah. yes. And that today, um, it's very interesting. Just before you arrived, I was doing, I was cleaning up the house a bit and I was cooking something and I was listening to some Australian talk radio to right. get up to date on... Some news, I'm about to go back and I'm trying to get my mind trained back to... Oh, I, I find that the weirdest thing. Have we talked about... I don't know if we talked about this on the show before, but I find I... When I'm in Brit, when I'm in America, I get most of my UK news from the BBC News website. Uh -huh. But the BBC News website is legally impartial. I know people claim on various sides that they're not, but it pretty is, pr does a pretty damn good job of presenting the facts without bias. Right which means you miss the talking points. You miss what the various tabloids are spinning as the news and what the national conversation is uh, that you just normally get just by walking past a newsstand in Britain. It, it's amazing how that happens in, in two ways. One is I think you get a real context on a lot of the debates that are happening, even if you're following them because you're not swept up in the every day-to-day yeah. -day emotion of something. And so you can have a bit of perspective. But the other one is, yes, that you don't get – you can miss large chunks of what it is that people are really... So I will follow... I do a lot of... When I get up in the morning, I will uh, read the news sites and all that sort of thing. But yeah. then I will also... I will listen to a couple of Australian... Like, there's this one guy, Neil Mitchell, out of Melbourne, who definitely has a right-wing shock jockey radio thing. Yeah. But of all the guys who are the, that, he's the one that I can bear listening to. Okay. Like, so, like, 50% of what he says I think is absolute rubbish... But like he's a pretty effective communicator, and he's he makes good arguments. Like even if those arguments then enrage you, you're like, right. okay, this is what people, some people are talking about, what some people think. Absolutely, and therefore this is something I should be arguing against. Also, I I find things like that are also useful to avoid falling into the trap of straw men with stand up, where you're like, okay, well this is what I believe. So now I'm going to go, oh, some people are saying, and you go, are they really? Right. Or have you just chosen a really convenient counterpoint that you can then knock down? I ran into this guy at a party who conveniently yeah. said all the, <laughs> all the things that I wanted to respond to cleverly. Yeah. 
oh, this guy, he were, yeah, it, he was a friend of my girlfriend's and he was full of setups. Right. <laughs> it was just. I mean, if you look back over my work, so much of it is colored with that. Of course it is. And you don't. Want... You, you, ha- you can't help it. You have right, to, of yeah. course. And like often like a character will become an emblem or, a, or like a, a kind of a, a mixture of a bunch of different opinions and that you've seen in newspapers or in the press or like or that you've heard in arguments or whatever. Yeah. But I also think that you're absolutely right. You should – I mean I like to be challenged in a way and this is why I like listening to this show. Sometimes he argues well enough that I will start to see a point that I don't agree with. Yep. You know, and I like being challenged on that level. Not in that instinctively they're right and they're wrong, but trying to find those things that are the more complex grey areas in between. Yeah. So one they were talking about today. This will involve some context, but I think you'll get it. There's this uh, an indigenous player. That's why I was reminded of it. There's an indigenous player called Adam Goods. Uh, now Adam Goods has twice won the Brownlow Medal, which is for best player in the AFL. Right. Uh, he's one of the greatest players in the history of the AFL. He's also a very smart and outspoken, uh, like uh, advocate for indigenous rights. Right. And, you know, he's a spokesperson. For all those things. He was named Australian of the Year last year and he used his platform of, as Australian of the Year to, you know, take a more Malcolm X approach to, you know, uh, Aboriginal and Indigenous rights than, a, you know, than a, um, than a Martin Luther King, you know, sort of approach. Right. As in, like, he was more outspoken than people wanted him to be. Right. Right? He, he was more Magneto than uh, Professor X, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> is what I'm looking for. And... People didn't like it. And now on the football field, he is being booed to the point where it's becoming a blight on the game. Like racists are using its cover to just constantly boo this guy who's probably in his final season and has been one of the greatest players in the history of our game. And what they're booing him for is for pointing out some of the terrible things that are still being done to his people. Things that, the way I see it is, yes, I'm provoked by the way or some of the things he says as well. But if my People had a twenty-year like if white if white men like that you know that I assumedly yeah, that white Australian men live for twenty yeah. years less than the rest of the country or didn't get paid the same as the rest of the country or you know had more chance of being alcoholic or sexually abused or whatever than the rest of the country, mate, you would not stop here. Yeah. You would I would talk about that all the fucking time. Well, this is... I wouldn't have time to play footy. Yeah, <laughs> every time I grabbed the football, I would go over to the umpire who are mic'd and I would mention. Oh, by the way, uh, still on that infant mortality thing. <laughs> Just reminding you guys, I'm going to kick this now, but in a minute, I'm going to take a really spectacular mark so I can make a point about death in custody. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, well, this, is, I mean, it's something that I, yeah, I, the first time I've heard of him and his story, but it's something that happens across the board and it's happening more so because I think we're in a really interesting time in general for rights of various traditionally oppressed groups and things are things are gradually sorting themselves out. Obviously, there's a shit ton of work to be done across the board, but things are gradually working themselves out. But in every case, what it's... And as someone who is a member of most of the traditionally privileged groups, I am I'm straight, male, white, whatever, uh, like, you, it, you do, for a second, feel those things. You can feel them if you don't check yourself as a personal attack. When you go like, oh, these... Oh, women want to be more prominent in my art form of choice, or black people want to be paid better. And for a second, you're like, "Oh, they want to drag us down." Oh, no, 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 no! They're at the top of the pile. We're at the top of the pile, and they want to be just another rung up. Probably still not 
equal, but just slightly closer to equal, and you're taking that as if they're dragging you down instead. Like, you take it as a personal friend, you go like, why are they attacking us? They're not. They're attacking the situation that currently has us on top. I mean, it's, and that's absolutely it. Like, I mean, I can imagine, like, just to use, like, a really practical example, so we can talk about it specifically. We work in an industry that has, is predominantly male. Yeah. Like predominantly male and has been predominantly male, particularly open mic stand-up comedy has been predominantly male. You know, if you're trying to start out in the industry, you might be the only woman on a bill or you might be one of only a couple of people on the bill. I think it's almost the opposite now. Right. Uh, It's still, at every level, I think it's still more men. Um, But uh, I think one of the problems... Sorry, I've interrupted you on your phone, but... um, The... The reason why it's predominantly male is obvious. You know, it's, it's sexism in a vicious cycle where there are more men who do it. Therefore, it gets considered to be a male pursuit. Therefore, more women are discouraged from firstly starting and secondly continuing and progressing. Uh, therefore, more men do it and the whole cycle begin- continues. But I think even more than that, because it's a bit shittier for women at every stage they don't progress as far and they also drop out at a higher rate, which means that the proportion of men to women actually concentrates even further the higher up the ladder you go. So if I think nowadays, nowadays, because things are improving, they're still still far from perfect because they are improving. I think nowadays there are a lot more women at the open mic level, but it might be, I'm just picking numbers out of thin air, but it might be like 60-40 at open mic and then 70-30 at pro, but then like 80-20 at headliner and 90-10 at theatre headliner. By the time you're like the elite theatre headliners, it's like three women. So you get this impression that not only is comedy a male pursuit, but only men can master it. Right. Because, because, because there are more men at the top. And which, this is what people talk about when they talk about privilege or structural privilege or yeah. any of these sort of things, is that I've never had to worry about... like, And here's, this is what we talk about from our own personal perspective. Yeah. Here's me. I'm taking a risk. No one ever did me a favor. I wasn't born into show business. I was born into dairy farming. Yeah. You know, dad was, grandfather was, brother is. Like, that's my life. And I worked hard on every step of this to, like, to get where I want. And I still have to drive to gigs where I'm not going to know anybody and blah, blah, blah. But I've never had to drive to a gig where I thought, am I going to be the only person of my sex on this bill? Or am I going to be the only person of my sexuality on this bill? Or my color yeah, or on gender, this bill? Or gender identity just or whatever. Yeah. Like, just for a basic start of walking into that room i am going to be the like the normal thing yeah that the audience will see that will be told this is what this is just by the fact that there are more people who are like this who do this yeah. you're not going to be different just by being you and if the guy who look and if there's a guy who's looks and sounds a lot like you also on the bill that night uh which is fairly likely right and he has a shitty gig right adam the audience is talking about right yeah, yeah. Adam if adam hills, hills goes on before you and has a, a shitty really gig, shitty gig. Uh, the audience isn't the audience isn't then going to go like, oh, uh, tall white men with Australian accents aren't good at comedy. No. So I'm not going to enjoy the second guy who no. was also like that. Check if the second guy's got two legs. Oh yeah. no, this guy's be fine. Right. It's only one leg of guys. Australian pirates are not funny. That's what we've decided. <laughs> uh, yeah, but absolutely. And yeah. so it's one of those things where. I think that that like you know systematic privilege where the people who are in the positions of giving the jobs were men and they you know understood one style of comedy as being the way you do it it's like the Jerry Seinfeld yeah you know, when Jerry Seinfeld talks about you know the college scene or whatever now you're like 
You're an old white privileged guy. Well, also, I don't think he's done a college gig in 20 years. I oh, know. You're talking about, uh, you've invented, and if he doesn't, uh, talking be a of very straw men, yeah. you've invented a straw audience. You've invented a straw audience. That's I, what you've done, Jerry, because you are making an argument against something that wouldn't happen. Yeah. What college is cutting a check to have Jerry Seinfeld come and do some of his non-politically correct sock observations? But it's, uh, <laughs> it's also, I mean, college gigs, college audiences are, can be sensitive in certain ways because they're of like course. corporate gigs. Corp- in the same way, corporate audiences can be sensitive. It's nothing to do with age and it's everything to do with, it's an environment where a lot of money is being changed hands for in a very specific and very... It's very different to when you do a when you do a comedy club. Everyone has arrived in small groups of friends or couples or singles, and they have individually chosen to come to your show. And they're buying and they're going into a nightclub and they're drinking alcohol. And it's a very specific type of night. And when you do either a corporate gig or a college gig, they are often sober affairs. Um, no one in that room has chosen specifically to go to you, they're just like, oh, this is the event that's happening tonight that has been decided by one person or a committee of people. And and you're told in advance that you're meant to keep things clean. And, and I mean, because you're in a work environment. Yes. Or like university has similar structures when it comes to rules of engagement and whatever yeah. as a work environment. And university, both, both universities, particularly if they're early on in the university life, like if it's like early in, the fir- in their first year, um, similar to a office do, everyone's really worried about laughing at the wrong thing because you're really worried about the people around you's impression right. of you because it is an artificial environment. It's a very fake scenario. Everyone's kind of on this semi-best behavior slash semi-showing off, which creates a different atmosphere. And I don't think that has anything to do with a change in sensitivities over the years and everything to do with just the weird social dynamic. That said, there has been a change in sensitivities over the years because things that were once considered acceptable are now considered less acceptable. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Like well, there was, I mean, regardless of whether it's a good or bad thing, this idea that somehow you can stop it. Yeah. Like, it's this, it's, that's the stupid thing. It's like, you know, the game of AFL that I was referencing earlier. Like, the game changes. Different tactics come in. You can't just go, I wish it was like it was in the 1980s. Yeah. It's not going to be again. They have higher class athletes. They, have, you know, they can run higher speeds. They have different skill sets. They can't just go back to that. Yeah. It's not going back to that. You might want it to, but it's never going to. And comedy can be the same. People might you know, wish that you could go back to when you could make Aboriginal jokes or like, you know, make fun of like, you know, do an Asian yeah. accent about them not being able to drive. And what I mean by that was, you know, this week in LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there's not many comedy clubs you can go to in America and not hear something that belongs about 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's the other... When you go internationally, it's very weird to see what is hack in different countries and what is taboo in different countries. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And it's something that I tell American friends of mine when they're coming to the UK. One, one the, I'm like, most things will be the same. Don't change words to the American version of the words because it'll sound weird. They'll know what you mean if you say gas instead of petrol. But some references won't fly. And if you're trying to do edgy stuff, check first because what's edgy in one country isn't in another. And like there are things that are edgy in America that are just like religion particularly, which is just in America, sorry, in Australia or Britain, you just go like, yeah, and 
Oh, you don't believe in Jesus? Cool. What's your joke at the end of that? Right. I, well, I have a line in the show. Okay. I don't believe in... Like, literally, the setup is, I don't believe in God. And in Australia, like, I, I barely... It's not even like I need to say that. Yeah. People assume, like, A, because they know me, but B, just because they'd assume... Because I'm a person who thinks. Yeah, be like me like, going like, because I'm 35 right. and uh, you don't yeah. have to wait for the... Yeah. I'll I'm let like, that I, sink in for a second. I'm 41 years old and have a university education. Okay, so he doesn't believe in God. Yeah. Uh, not that, Anyway, but you know what I mean. Like, um, and, but the, in America, you know, people are confronted by you even announcing that, even though my next point is about... It's literally to announce a joke about, but I don't pretend to yeah. you know, think that I have any answers to these sort of things. Yeah. And so those things can be contextual accents. Yeah. Like in America, oh. the amount of times you'll see somebody do an Asian, you know, v- v- one well, that, of the Asian That's exactly what I, tell, what I tell Americans who are coming to Britain. I go like, religion and certain swear words don't carry half the punch in Britain that they do in America. But on the other hand, stuff that you might think is fairly innocuous racial humor in America, if you do it in Britain, will be considered racist, racist and yeah. over the line. So, yeah, there are some things that will carry less weight, some things that will carry more weight. Spend some time in the country before you start dabbling with that on stage. Right. And also, we have different racial stereotypes. That's the other thing. Like, like I've, I've seen Americans come to Britain and do jokes about Mexicans, which, if I saw her in LA, I'd still be like, oh, really? But you go like, we don't, we don't really have Mexicans in Britain. I mean, there are right. some, but it's not like a major, it's not a major immigrant group. And we, you're doing... We're having to work out what the stereotype is that you're doing a joke about right. in the course of that joke. Yeah, no, I, and then also at the same time being uncomfortable that you consider that a thing to do. Well, it's it's what you started saying about context. It's funny though when things are slightly different. So I was in Madison. I was telling you how much I love doing the shows in Madison. Yeah. Um, there was this guy down the front. And this is pretty generic, but it was a fun moment in the moment. It was one of those things that happened in the room. It's not like a bit that I do yeah. all the time or anything. But there was a guy. Disclaimer d- over. <laughs> there was a guy dressed like uh, Where's Wally, right? Okay. And front row. Yeah. Right? But no glasses, but looked exactly like him. So I like was riffing on the idea that that's what had happened to and Where's Wally and that he'd like moved to Madison and he'd like, and I already know where this is going. This was like, I did this whole Clark Kent Superman riff on like, you know, that people didn't know it was him because blah, 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 and whatever. And of course, it's, it's not Where's Wally. It's Waldo. It's Waldo. <laughs> and like people were still into the bit. But at the time, I just could, you know, there was that slight hesitation on like, it should have been going really well and it wasn't going quite as well. Like the, yeah. there was this, this, this tiny thing that wasn't working. And, I, and, and afterwards, like one of the other comics said to me, it's Walter, which I knew, but I just in that moment, in that riff, yeah. didn't process. But I, why? Like, why is that? Why is it Waldo? Like, I mean, of all the things to change and then to change it, it's not like it's Where's Harry or whatever yeah. in a different country. Why has it gone from Wally to Waldo? I remember what looking is- this up once because it has... I don't, I'm not the reason for why it's Wally and Waldo, but every country has a different name. Oh, really? Yeah. You're going to have to look them up now. Okay, now <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up. You're absolutely right. But yeah, I, can't, the, I think either the... Well, ju- I mean, I guess that's what you do, right? Yeah. Change your name in different countries. You have a different identity. <laughs> if you want to blend in. Where's Jose? <laughs> Doing whatever the Mexican stereotype is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're a Wally in Berlin, you stand out like, you stand out like anything. You can't blend into the crowd with such a... That's exactly right. Conspicuously yeah. foreign name. If you're in the United Arab em- Emirates and everybody's like, where's Wally? Everyone knows where Wally is because he's the only guy called Wally. Yeah. All you in have the to do whole is go, UAE. Wally! Wally! <laughs> <Just> <laughs> 
international variations of Where's Wally. Here you go. Look at this. Uh, all right. Um, where's Wally? Okay, so it's Where's Wally in the United Kingdom, Australia, and New Zealand. All right. Right? Uh, where's Waldo in the United States and Canada? I would have, by the way, if you hadn't told me that, I would have maybe guessed Waldo in Australia. Because Australia has a tendency to take after the American name for things. That's true, but Wally is like a very Australian word. Like, yeah, you can yeah. even it's like a, oh, that bloke's a Wally. Oh yeah. We, we used to have a campaign. Don't be don't be a Wally with water. Right. Yeah. And Wally is also a men's name in Australia. And I don't think it really is in. And I don't know if you hear a lot of Waldos. I don't know if there's a lot of Waldos. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, was there a Wally in the castle? Was the old neighbour called Wally? Oh, gee, that's a good question. That'd be a good call if you got that right. Uh, Ones Wally uh, in Catalan. Oui est Charlie, French. So, so it's Charlie in Charlie. French. Charlie, yeah, where's Charlie? Which confuses oh the just- <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're both there then. <laughs> All you could have done with one Charlie during the parade, during the march. Oh, that is absolutely. <laughs> just sweet. Oui. Oui, Charlie. <laughs> just sweet Charlie. Just, just. <laughs> what I love about that is like <laughs> that would have been the most hilarious in joke of all time just wally slash charlie walking, along, <laughs> walking going, through the parade going i am charlie <laughs> it actually would have been perfect like the perfect irreverence for oh oh god just one guy in the middle just sneaking between the prime ministers with a with a scarf and a hat it also, um, by the way, is uh, the stripy shirt. Did it, you have a scarf? It also should be the motto for this show. US Charlie. Because <laughs> Fofop is where is Charlie? <laughs> so I don't know if it's US. I'm not Uwe. very good. Ue? Ue? Yeah. Ue Charlie? Ue Charlie. Uh, I'm not going to try to do all these, but uh, Benj in the Swiss, Swiss call him Benj. What's the German one? I think it begins with an A. German? No, it begins with a W. Okay. Yep. And he's, <laughs> this is great, very German. So not the name, well, I, I don't know if the name's German or not, but uh, imagine, so Wally, Wally's the Aussie in the UK. Where's Wally? Uh, Waldo is the American. Yeah. Uh, so the German's a bit more formal. What's what's theirs? Uh, I, I'm going to guess it's the German for some like, where is Wally hiding? Uh, or no. can you find Wally? Well, I don't know what the, because it says woe ist. So I, I, is, I yeah. imagine where is. That is. Um... What is Walter? Walter. 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 <laughs> where's Walter? Former. Yeah, where's Formal. Walter? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Where is Wally? Is Dutch. Um, are there any others that are re- like the French one that are really Polish a long way away? Polish is Wally. Spanish is Wally. Uh, Dunda esta Waldo? Latin American Spanish. Uh, Japanese, I can't read. Waro o Sagase? Uh, Chinese, I can't read. Hebrew? There's a Hebrew. Where's Wally? Okay. Now, (laughs) when I was 13 and studying for my bar mitzvah, I was able to read Hebrew. I can't guarantee it now, but I can at least... can I have a look at the letters to see what... Well, does it, has it have a phonetic spelling It has well? a phonetic spelling next to it, so you could t- you could uh, tell me. So it's about three quarters of the way down that... that means. Ooh, Whoop, got really? it, I got it. Good catch. Uh, oh, I see. Effie, he is. Uh, it's... Uh, yeah, I follow Effie in Hebrew. 
I don't know what it is in Greek because I can't read the Greek letters. But uh, Valley in Icelandic. Valley. Holger in Danish. Oh, okay. We might have a winner. Where's Holger? Yeah. And uh, in Italian, it's uh, Ubaldo. U-B-A-L-D-O. Oh, Norwegian is Willy. Oh, where's Willy? Yeah. Oh, I like that. And Turkish, I think it's Ali. I guess if I go to Norway to do shows, I can do my uh, Where's Willy tour. That'll be perfect. <laughs> Uh, well, there you go. Uh, okay, I was going to actually uh, show you something on this computer uh, oh, before please. I uh, look this up. Well, when I say show you something, I um, put aside a list. I like uh, sometimes when I have you on, we can talk a little bit about the world. Let's do it. Um, and so, I like that you've got, you've got f- tree-friendly pencils as well open in front of me. Yeah, that's right. They're meant to remind you, Matt, of the environment because each of those pencils is like a tree. And when you take them out, take one of the pencils out, it reminds you of deforestation see that yeah i know man that's so deep so deep although really wasteful if just each each of those pencils was a whole tree yeah each was a whole tree (laughs) they whittled down an entire tree (laughs) just to make a a point (laughs) just uh this is uh from a viral thread the web at its best the web at its best that's a bold claim that is a bold claim but here are some interesting facts I thought, you know, we yeah, have some interesting facts today. Here's an interesting fact for you. Liam Neeson, you're familiar with Liam Neeson, popular movie actor? Liam I am Neeson. familiar. Liam Neeson used to be a school teacher, but got fired. Uh, why did he get fired, Matt Kirshen? That's going to be my question to you. What do you think that Liam Neeson, do you know this story? Did he have a special set of skills? <laughs> 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 One of the other kids took his, took his daughter to prom. <laughs> uh, Liam Neeson used to be a teacher but got fired. Well, I, I, was, let me see. Was it... Was swearing involved? Uh, look, you weren't actually far away with your first answer. <laughs> Liam Neeson used to be a teacher but got fired for punching a 15-year-old boy... <laughs> When the boy pulled a knife out in class. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Neeson was fired for being future Liam Neeson. <laughs> That's pretty great. That's a great story by that kid as well. He'd be able to tell that. All right, here we <laughs> He's go. He's like the first person to be. Uh, all right. Uh, one, how about this? Uh, this is a fact about bees. All right. Once the queen is deemed unfit to serve due to old age or disease, mm-hmm. worker bees cluster tightly around her body until she dies from overheating. Wow. A process known as cuddle death. Wow. Yeah. I thought cuddle death was that thing that lesbians get late on in a relationship. <laughs> what happened with you and Jan? Cuddle death. <laughs> we had terrible case of cuddle death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we still love each other, but it just wasn't... The spark was gone. That's actually how the actual queen is going to die yeah. as well. <laughs> the be... other members of the royal extended <laughs> royal family will gather around. <laughs> well, they only have a limited amount of space, right? So the more of them get born, they just get crammed into a smaller and smaller bit room of the palace. <laughs> I think that's how royalty works. It'd be great if the royals made honey. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Like at least that, then they'd be doing something useful. Yeah, like listen, I know it's, I know it's undemocratic, but 
delicious. I mean, you know what? I know it costs like us a lot of money yeah. and the system really is outmoded and outdated. It seems weird that that tiny child, that fat little baby is going to be the king of us all. But have you, have you tasted his jam? Yeah. <laughs> it's just... I, I defy you to pick a single British subject who excretes a better spread. <laughs> when... Um, Steven Spielberg, here's a movie fact for you. Okay. Uh, when Steven Spielberg was to be awarded his honorary doctorate from USC's Cinematic Arts School, yep. he agreed to accept only if it was personally signed by the admissions officer who rejected him for an average C grade when he applied there as an aspiring film student. It was. So what I'm saying is Steven Spielberg's a dick. <laughs> Right. Oh, at not, least you can hold a grudge. With, you're not happy with your fucking yeah. ET money? You know what? Get over your fucking grudge, with mate. A, I, a, I hold some fucking grudges, <laughs> but you know what? If I had some sweet Jurassic Park coin, I would have fucking washed those fucking grudges away. But that just shows. That's just a bigger that's just a bigger scale version of the thing we all have where you know, you could be playing like a gala in a sold out theater and having one of the best gigs of your career. And your mind, you will focus like a laser beam on the one person on the front row who isn't smiling. Right. In and fact, for, from now on, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get, because I'll, I'll have the details, right? Because the, the weird thing is sometimes they're normally like down the front and you're like, you booked early. Yeah. So I'm going to get their credit card details. And I'm going to find it from the booking form. I'm going to keep. The, I'm going to keep them from the booking form. And then, if I ever win something prestigious, <laughs> call them out I one by one. Invite them. <laughs> yeah. I refuse you know, to accept my Oscar. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that? Su- uh, am I funny now, mate? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that Susan? Listen, uh, this is a weird request, uh, but um, we're from the Academy Awards, and uh, Will Will Anderson. Uh, he's an Australian comedian, and he says that you attended his show. Look, we really want to honour him, but he's refusing to accept it. Until you record 30 <laughs> minutes of laughter yeah. and send it to him. And countersign the certificate. Uh, here's a little fact for you. Yep. Uh, you ever watch the TV show Kitchen Nightmares? I have watched that, yes. Yeah, I love Kitchen Nightmares. I'm like, I have it on the DVR, and when I, I love when I go away and tour for two weeks because it means there's going to be five new episodes of Kitchen <laughs> Nightmares. And last night I sat down and watched five new episodes, and I enjoyed it very much. Uh, but here's the, there's a bit at the end if you've never watched. It's a Gordon Ramsay show for people who've never watched Kitchen Nightmares, and it's a terrible restaurant. You'll go into a terrible restaurant. They will be going out of business in a major way. They will then be surprised that Gordon Ramsay doesn't think their food is amazing, yeah. even though that's what happens in every single thing. Well, the weird thing is that all of those... Now, I know I know how these shows are produced and I know how these shows are edited. So, obviously, they're constructing a story and, obviously, the researchers and the, produ- and the story producers shield the subjects of it from the angle they're going to be taking with the program and go them into saying and behaving in certain ways. But still... They know they have a failing business. They have invited this show into their business. 
and they've seen other episodes. Right. Well, I think they must find people who've never heard of Gordon Ramsay. They, oh, they, they oh, must find people who were in the witness relocation program. <laughs> no, it's honestly, they must be keeping them in some sort of hermetic bubble or something because everyone seems surprised yeah. by what's going on. Well, I think they'll just be going to be the one show where, this will be the one episode where he shows up and goes, I, I'm as astonished as you. Because there is not a thing wrong with this place. I mean, the food's delicious. Your kitchen is spotless. Your you have all the right staff and they get along. Your service is impeccable. The front of house manager was there. They didn't yell at me in some crazy way. Yes. Uh, it doesn't have weird decor from the 1970s. You don't have some weird moose head you found on the road on the <laughs> wall of your... Like, I mean, it's all... I got it. You're in a great area. The signage yep. out the front is, is very effective. The I, bagpipe music you insist on playing yourself is... Right. Just exquisite. I mean, it's exquisite. <laughs> like, ordinarily, this would be a real death, but the fact that you have no culinary training, to be honest, is a strength. <laughs> it's, st- it's more inventive than it's anything that outside I've ever the seen. Yes. I mean, it's amazing. And the fact that you drink at work constantly actually makes you funnier and, jo- and jollier. And I love in this culture of waste that we all live, your refusal to throw out any food. Any food. <laughs> Even if it's just, <laughs> even if it's like touched the ground. The weird thing is that it added extra flavor to the steak. <laughs> so then there's a, a brilliant bit at the end where they basically do a, you know, what's happened since. And right. it always turns out that as soon as Gordon Ramsay and the crew go away, it doesn't always work out as well as it could. It's weird that because you'd thought that, you know, having a Michelin star chef helping you cook all the meals would then continue once he's left the premises. But for some reason... Yeah, and the public interest that is sparked by having <laughs> Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares shooting there for one night only. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that the next <laughs> night... Straight. Like, I mean, that, that's one of the things. Where How would you, you like that experience without Gordon Ramsay and the cameras? <laughs> Not as much, actually. Like, and again, you know, like, you know for, like, knowing how these shows are put together, you know that the... You know that they have the disaster night and the success night. Right. And you know that for the disaster night... Um, you know they then get um, tw- fifty too many people to come to come in and order at once, and they tell them all this is what we're doing, and please don't be afraid to speak up if you think something is not right with the food or service. Absolutely. So you know they do all that, and you know they don't do that for the second one when when everyone when it's primed to go well. Like you know, like uh, you know all that, but still with. <laughs> so, uh, with all that in mind, here's a fact for you. Right. Every restaurant from season two of Kitchen Nightmares has closed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's all we need to say about that. Uh, I like it if it it genuinely was a nightmare. (laughs) Like it's... I don't know why, but my grandfather has no pants on. (laughs) It's like... Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. (laughs) Like a spider ghost chases you the second you I open up the turkey and it was just full of baby spiders. Gordon Ramsay's <laughs> Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, let's uh, see what else we've got here. Uh, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, okay, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss's first book was rejected 27 times. He was ready to give up but bumped into a friend on the street who'd just begun working in publishing. Sue said if he'd been walking on the other side of the street, he probably never would have been a children's author. Wow. Now, 
Here's something it's, I read once. So, on. You know what it is? It's just it's who you know. Yeah. That's what I get from that. <laughs> it's, all it's, fucking who, it's all who you know. Yeah. And Look at these... you, Theodore Geisel, like your fucking <laughs> sweet connections. Networking. Here's something I... Don't like green eggs and ham, but you like fucking shaking hands with the man, I hear. <laughs> Geisel. Old school if that's network. that's your real name. <laughs> Here's something I did hear in one of those lists of facts. Wow. Different lists of facts. Um, <laughs> that The way you just pronounce his name is the way I would pronounce the name and the way pretty much everyone does. Oh, and what is it? Apparently wrong. Apparently it's Zoice. Dr. Zoice? No one. Uh, which, now, a bit of me thinks, well, it's a made-up name anyway. Right. And it's a book that, it's fucking Zeus. Just call it Zeus by this point. Right, everybody else is calling it Zeus. Yeah. Well, a bit, Justin Hamilton and I have talked about this because what do you call those, oh, what was that, uh, those small building blocks that children play with that they made into a movie, an animated movie last year? What do you call those? I would call that Lego. Right, as would most people. Yep. Uh, but my understanding is that it's not actually pronounced Lego. This is the... Cause gonna, it's, is it Danish? It's something Scandinavia. Yeah. So, I think Denmark. On, let's, let's find... Let's, uh, let's look this up before I go into this story. Uh, okay. So, pronunciation of... Okay, here we go. Uh, how to pronounce it in American English. Let's listen. Well, that's going to be... Okay, that's American. How to pronounce... Okay, all right. Um, it's just going to keep saying Lego in different voices It really is uh, Yeah, okay What's well, maybe, the version that you were told? See, Justin calls it Lego uh, And uh, my understanding what, Well, I don't know now I don't trust Justin anymore Yeah, I know Let's, let's have a look up Let's find a little bit about Lego um, Alright uh, Le- Lego 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 I've got to say Lego. though I had no idea until the Harry Potter movies came out that it was Hermione. What did you... Uh, who did I read it as like, what, Hermione or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, and that one is, that one is on me because Hermione isn't a name invented by J.K. Rowling. Right. <laughs> like it's a name that existed prior to those You were books. like, what's this crazy wizard name? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hermione. oh Rowling, you, <laughs> you genius. <laughs> did you say Rowling or Rowling? That, as I was saying it... <laughs> I purposely, if you play the tape back, you'll notice that I purposely picked a kind of hybrid vowel sound between the two because in the heat of the moment, I wasn't sure. Yes, it was uh, Denmark. Yes, yes. So that's where they're from. So I don't know. I can't, can't tell you that one. And I'm right in thinking that like that it was invented originally as just a building material for Danish homes. Right. And then someone cottoned onto the fact that it could be a toy. Right. <laughs> All right, hang on. Let's uh, see if I can... And also, have you been to Denmark? No, never been. It's pretty cool, but no one has arms. Uh, or no one has, like, movable arms. They've just got, like, the lower half of their arms move. Really? And their hair and can just be lifted off. Just be lifted like, off. Yeah. Is that right? Is that, is that true? That is completely true. That's completely true. Like, you can't lie on a podcast. That's against the rules. Okay, well, here's another fact for you, then, if you can't lie on a podcast. Uh, paper cuts hurt so much. Because the cut often bleeds very little or not at all, leaving the skin's pain receptors open to the air. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's interesting. That's plausible. Yeah. <laughs> That's plausible. This is our, welcome to our new podcast, <laughs> That's Plausible, where we offer explanations that sound like they could make sense. Yeah. That's plausible. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't miss our spin-off game show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of a poorly researched quiz show <laughs> called That's Plausible. We ask you a question we don't actually know the answer to, and if you give an answer that sounds plausible, then that's the answer. <laughs> That is correct, to the best of our knowledge, <laughs> as goes our popular catchphrase. Uh, all right, well, here's another one. <laughs> In the US, being clean-shaven became popular after troops returned as heroes from World War I. They had been required to shave so gas masks would securely fit. That's plausible. That's, that's plausible. <laughs> I mean, so, for example, that's why hipsters are going to die, like, in the end of the world survival situation, because of your, your, your groovy <laughs> facial hair. Didn't think about that, right? Oh, God, that's true. Yeah. Uh, in Michigan, uh, where I've just been... I still um, think it's worth it, you know, you just, you got to commit to a style. Uh, in Michigan, who's... Uh, a man in Michigan, a Michigan man, don't mess with a Michigan man... A Michigan man whose house was set to be demolished switched house numbers with his neighbour, so the crews ended up demolishing the wrong house. Well, that's horrible. (laughs) That's criminal. I mean, I know that's hilarious and everything in a kind of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy sort of way, but it's not like you've just essentially destroyed your neighbour's house. Here's the one thing. Here's the one way it might not be horrible. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm not saying this is what actually happened. Right. Let's say his home was due to be demolished because there had been a compulsory purchase right. for some expansion or whatever. Okay. And he's like, no, this is bullshit. This is my home. Fuck you. Meanwhile, his neighbor had financial problems. And the neighbor is like, hey, listen, I could really do with collecting some insurance money. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, and they hatched this plan. So they swapped numbers. The wrong home gets demolished. His house is still standing. Win number one. The neighbor gets his home demolished, gets a whole load of insurance money, not only money to rebuild and rehouse him, but also compensation for upset and loss and damage and mental trauma. So win across the board. This man is a modern day hero. I mean, that's plausible. That's plausible. It's, it's QI on a much lower budget. Nerdist presents. That's plausible. I should have pitched it. I was sitting uh, on my flight back from Montreal on Sunday morning. Uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, flying at the, the pointy end of the plane. Uh, but it was a plane that was chocked, filled with... So in the business class section, there was a few uh, comedians yeah. there. Um, I was uh, sitting next to a woman who runs uh, scripted entertainment at HBO. I didn't know that at the time. Okay. She was quite mean to me. Really? I sniffed at one stage and like used the napkin to like clean it up. And she goes, oh, you're not sick, are you? I've been trying to avoid getting sick. And I was like, and then she goes, oh, I suppose that was a bit rude. And I said to her, I said, yes, that was rude. Because firstly, uh, A, I'm not sick. And secondly, if I were sick... Can you imagine how uncomfortable you've just made this? Like, you're a horrible person. Did you anyway, say that? So, no. <laughs> a lot of that was in my head. But when I rewrite that story <laughs> and she becomes my straw woman who represents all the opportunities <laughs> I haven't got in show business. 
Um, <clears throat> so did she commission, would she be the one who was responsible for Game of Thrones, for example? And I, I don't know is the answer to that question. Um, uh, Reggie Watts was there. Uh, uh, here's what I will tell you about Reggie Watts. Uh, that big hair of Reggie Watts, perfect. Because uh, everyone wanted to sleep. It was a really early flight out of Montreal and that big Saturday night, really yeah. early morning, right? Reggie Watts' hair, man, he sleeps comfy wherever yeah. he goes. <laughs> like he was having so much. Like he was He's all sleeping wrapped. on a cloud. It, it, it looked like that scene from Star Wars where that dude, <laughs> like, yeah, like when Luke Skywalker slept inside that animal. That's right. what it was like with Reggie and his hair. Uh, Chris Hardwick uh, was was in that section as well. Lovely, uh, Chris. So, but also there was a bunch of other comedians who are more credentialed and better than me that had to go and sit in economy. So it's fair to say that uh, Todd uh, Todd Glass walked by with Dana Gould, and Todd Glass uh, took that opportunity to really publicly uh, make me feel uncomfortable in front of everybody <laughs> on the plane, which was pretty hilarious. Uh, how how long how much of the flight did he keep that bit going for? Because Todd is someone who can really dig deep in a bit. I mean, I imagine next time I run into him, it'll still be going. (laughs) Put it that way. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's uh, move on. Let's see what else we've got here. Um, All right. Uh, Okay, well, this is just a little fun. This almost sounds like someone's joke, so I hope this isn't. but, But apparently it's also a fact. Uh, humans put a man on the moon before they put wheels on luggage. There you go. I believe that's true. That's plausible. Uh, here's here's something I also know while we're talking about wheels and luggage. Yeah. Killed the bellboy industry. You know what? It's like it's progress, isn't it? It's like in the same way as like Uber is like destroying like taxi cabs and stuff like that. Sometimes something comes along and it yeah. destroys an entire industry. Although I, I do have issues with Uber and Airbnb. Right, the shared economy? The shared economy slash cult of, what is it, Destruction. disruption? The disruption? Whole, yeah, sure. the cult of disruption. It's basically a group of Randian libertarians going like, well, here's what we do. There are laws and regulations, some of which are bloated regulation and some of which are basically a bit of a cartel. Fine, fucking disrupt, disrupt the hell out of those. Yeah, and some but are there for a reason. Some are there for yeah. very good reasons to protect both the population and also the workers you know there are some very hard fought for workers rights and safety rules the market does not know all yes and and the idea that like yeah we're not running a taxi service so we don't need to you know obey the rules of the taxis do for example always having to pick up people with disabilities or proper background checks on your drivers we're not running a taxi we're just sharing you've just got a car that you're not using for a bit Right. People then rent and you drive them around from place to place and, and it's taking cars off the road, even though people are now actually leasing cars specifically to drive for Uber and they're putting them more on the road because they're driving around waiting for a fare. But it's just, it's just good. <laughs> and like and like Airbnb is the same. We're like, we don't need to obey the rules of hotels that are there for a reason where, again, you have to always rent to people with disabilities and you can't reject people on certain grounds and you have to pay certain taxes. But we're not a, it's not a hotel. This is just a room that's not being used. And it, you know, if it is like a room... If you're going out of town for a weekend, you're like, well, I might as well try and make some money on my room. Cool. Great. But when people, landlords are now kicking tenants out of their buildings and then renting them out for an entire year, a few days at a time on Airbnb, how is that not a hotel? You are a hotel then. No, no, no. It's not a hotel. It's just a room that I sometimes lease to people for a few nights at a time in exchange for money. And then in between them, someone goes in and cleans the room and turns it over for the next person. 
It's just an apartment. It's just an apartment. You're a fucking hotel. You are a hotel, and you're a taxi, and stop pretending you're not, and stop getting upset when someone points out that you're not, and fucking pick up disabled people. I mean, it's a, it, it is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you have success in both of those areas predominantly because all, all these industries are so counterintuitive to every message we got when we were young, which was like, you know, don't get in a van with a stranger and, you know, yep. don't stay at a strange person's house. But, oh, but if, you can do it if a computer tells you to. Oh, yeah, that's fine. If your phone tells you to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we also told don't trust computers. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it uh, let that old man in the trench coat with lollies give you a ride home from school day? To be fair, those lollies are delicious. They are delicious. That's what the computer told me. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you're absolutely right that also the reason that people are using these things and the reason they're successful is that like those older industries weren't offering good service and people justify the exact same things as well. You know, the endless stories you would hear about the taxi industry not picking up, you know, yeah. uh, you know, so again, from those point of view, dogs or you know, blah, 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 you know, so I think that, yeah, what we need to concentrate on is what, what is the best like service that encapsulates all those things. Yeah. Like, you know, the fact that now when you're getting into cabs here in LA, because I catch cabs to the airport still yep. and, and from the airport still. And some of them, you can clearly tell that now they're like, tell, you know, you've got the service that's like you know, telling you where the cab is and you can follow it like I did on the Uber. You know, you get in and they actually say hello to you. Yep. Like, you know, a cab driver offered me some water the other day. Like, you know, it wasn't like you'd actually interrupted their real job, yep. like, which is normally <laughs> what it feels like. Getting Fury into it. interrupt. Right. It's like, well, you, yeah. you know. So all that is great. But the only reason Uber can be so cheap is that it is both under, it's not paying the various taxes that real taxis have to pay. And also it's starting to stiff the drivers, like it's undercutting the drivers and the drivers are getting underpaid. And so it's fucking over both the drivers and the people and the city. And this is what, I guess, we, we need to have almost a broader conversation and it happens, it's happened so quickly with technology because the advancement of technology uh, is at an exponentially faster rate than our capacity to adapt to and understand and, you know, come to terms with, you know, the effect that that technology has on our lives. You know, you see yeah. it, like people are now, you know, talking, you can go on deprogramming trips or tours or, or you know, even apps themselves that like, yeah, shut off your phone so that you're not on all the time. We constantly evolve and like, you know, expand and contract in these sort of areas. But I think that we so rarely have a national or international conversation about what it is that we're actually, you know, trying to do. And that, I mean, I, Australia is an over-regulated country. I mean, the most regu- there's more rules in Australia about everything. You know, sometimes it kind of drives me crazy when I go overseas and I'm like, oh, yeah, right. In London, you can just like have a beer out on the street in the middle of Soho because they trust that you're an adult. Whereas in Australia... Incorrectly, like, by the way. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. But yeah, but that's when you start to argue about that point of like how much is, you know, do you believe the government should step in and have control and have laws in that sort of situation and how much do you not? Yeah. And it is, and I mean, it is a difficult debate and we never seem to have it on a like an actual decent level, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Well, I have, I have half a mind. I keep, we've been talking about this back and forth a few times over the last couple of years, but I have half a mind to go to Burning Man this year. Although I forgot to apply for tickets in time. So if any of your listeners happen to have a spare ticket to Burning Man that you're trying to sell, you can message me. Yeah. Um, but people are like, yeah, this is cause it works. It's, so this is, it's all set up by, it's all self-regulated very libertarian streak and you sort of go yeah this is how society could be like yeah this is a very specific test subject 
Right. It had started like Burning Man, but it ended up like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Which apparently bits of Burning Man are like, but... Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I mean. It yeah. wouldn't be that far. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be that, like, before some of the Burning Man people, the rich, you know, Silicon Valley billionaires in their glamping, you know, $10,000 trips with their big screens and stuff went, you know what? This would actually be better if there weren't yeah. all those hippies here. <laughs> Which apparently is even starting to happen. Yeah. Again, I've never been to the festival. Uh, if you know a ticket, give me a shout. But, uh... That is starting to happen now where people are offering the sort of VIP, like, yeah, if you give us a couple of hundred thousand, right. then we will basically airlift you into the festival. Right. All of your stuff will be, any stuff you possibly could ever need will be there. Uh, you'll be in this luxury air-conditioned camp with Wi-Fi and all the technology you need and security to stop any of the non-billionaires from getting into your special subset of the camp. That doesn't seem to be... That doesn't. That seems to be going against the spirit of the whole. Well, I mean, there's that sort of weekend self reliance, self. Yeah, I mean, it's people who have Porsche, you know, uh, four wheel drives, you know. Yeah, and you're like, that's never going anywhere. Yeah, that, like, do, it must be a bumpy really, road on yeah. the way to picking your kids up from school. Yeah, that really odd. Oh, I bet that. I bet that scare really helps that you get over La Cienega. Uh All right, <clears throat> we got yeah. another plausible fact. Let's see if we can uh, have a couple more plausible facts before we... Here's a, here's a little plausible okay, thing that I, I, I heard. I think this is great. It just reminded me of like when the, the demolition guy, which could be an ingenious workaround for a bad situation, there was an old folks home, a retirement home in Germany that had a problem with old people wandering off. Uh-huh. Uh, people with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia getting lost. And their solution, and this is beautiful... Just outside the front, at the end of the path, they built a fake bus stop. And so people who go wandering off, the old people, get to the bus stop, wait for the bus that never arrives, and then every half hour or so, a nurse just goes out and collects everyone and brings them back in. (laughs) I mean, that's just one of those beautiful moments where you're like, I bet... Originally, like everyone's like, we've got to cure Alzheimer's. Well, you know what? In the meantime, (laughs) let's just put in a bus stop. Isn't that a beautiful workaround? It probably cost them a hundred (laughs) euros. And and it just... That's hilarious. There was another another brilliant, again, uh, also from Germany. And again, how's this for ingenuity? Did you see there was a a neo-Nazi march in a small German town? And I think it's one that happens annually... It has some connection to one of the senior Nazis. I think it was like like Hess or Goebbels or someone like that was originally buried there or from there, whatever. Neo-Nazi march that happens there. And what the town did, because obviously there were normally counter-protests, without them knowing, businesses and individuals in the town sponsored the march. Um, like, so, like, like 100 euros for every 10 meters or whatever it was. So as they completed the march, they unwittingly raised 10,000 euros for an anti-Nazi charity. Right. It's the best. <laughs> it's just, so while, yeah, they didn't realize that until the march started and then they let them know. And then the whole way they were marching along, there was like a finishing line marked out and the whole town came out to cheer them along. <laughs> it's so clever because in Australia recently, there's this been group called uh, Reclaim Australia who are just anti-Muslim protesters basically. Right. They're racist. They're right-wing racist. There's no doubt about it. But what happened was there was some violent confrontations between this anti-racism rally and the the yeah. the, racist, the pro-racism rally. And 
it it's made the situation worse and it like helps them reinforce their point and that sort of thing. If they got, if the anti-racists had made their point by doing something like that, it would have been much more effective. Yeah. And obviously you, and obviously it's hard to sort of, you know, as a as an I was about to say neutral observer, but I'm clearly not a neutral observer. I know what side I'm on. Right. But uh, as an outside observer, you kind of... As you, someone who's uh, not made up his mind yeah, about racism. I'm very much on the fence on this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are good points on both sides. And I think no. it's important to hear both sides of the argument. Yeah, exactly. I mean, balance. <laughs> it's fair and balance. <laughs> but you don't want to be the person going like, well, just don't be angry. Just don't be angry at these guys. <laughs> Your anger is justified, and if that anger spills over, I get it. I get right. where you're coming from, and it. There are other ways, but also I don't want to be the person going like, "Guys, come on, just be kind of calm and chill about these people who are oh, shouting I horrible mean, things about you and your people." Yeah, everybody. Else, everybody has the right to, you know, as much as I support the right to, for the racists to protest, the anti-racists have the right as well. But I do think sometimes we could be more effective if we were more creative. Yeah. In fact, I might start out a little agency, like you know, cre- like you did, like you know, make a yeah, thinker of creative points to make. Like, and people come to me going, like, we've got this like anti, you know, that could be the business. Like, we've got these anti-racism things. Like, how do we yeah. creative? Actually, you know, that's not a bad idea for a show. Like, do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like about a guy who creative runs protests. A, like a, that's like the business, and so it's like people who have a protest to make, and this person like guides them in the way of like. You know, a creative yeah. execution. Rather than chaining yourself to the power station, right. what about a sack race? Right. <laughs> now, hear me out. <laughs> Look, there's no bad ideas. <laughs> How does that connect to the... I haven't worked it out yet, we'll, but there'll be on. a... We'll get some sacks first. Let's yeah. get some sacks, and then once once I've got the sacks off my mind... All right, now... Don't I, I know there are no. I know we're just spitballing, and this isn't the time to start shutting down ideas. And I don't know criticism is not. But just as a minor point, yeah, I can't help noticing that all of your ideas seem to involve a sack race, and your brother does own a sack company. Look, now, what are you saying? <laughs> what, what are you saying? I'm just suggesting that maybe sack sack racing is higher up your priority list than it. Perhaps could be. Uh, do you not enjoy sack raising? <laughs> Who doesn't enjoy sack raising? Have we ever had a complaint about the sack races? We have had many complaints. We've never had a complaint. <laughs> never a complaint has hit my desk about the sack races. Not once. Never seen one. Okay. Now that's because you don't have a desk anymore, and that's because you sold that desk to buy sacks. <laughs> well, they were emergency sacks. I think you're fine. That was a sack emergency. I had a couple of issues on the go. I solved them both with sacks. We had a sack off. I got half of them in sacks on one yeah. side and I had the other in sacks on the other side. Uh, that sack over there is entirely full of complaint letters about the sacks. That, that sack over there? <laughs> I thought it was full of sacks. That's not full of sacks? No, that's the sack sack. This is the complaint sack. Oh, I thought we had two sack sacks. <laughs> I thought that's how well things we do. Were going. We do have two sack sacks. There is another sack sack, and that is the complaint sack. Oh, so we still have. <laughs> so we have three. I thought we had three sack sacks. <laughs> Sorry, there's been a. <laughs> I don't know how you would get that many complaints about sacks sack racing. Would you? It just depends on how much you're spending on it. Well, I mean, like how much are sacks? I mean, if we're buying this many sacks, we're getting a good deal. Plus, my brother's in the industry. Like we're getting a good family discount. I mean. Uh, Colonel Sanders. Yes. Got fired from a dozen jobs. 
was a lawyer who once assaulted his own client in court. Oh, that's a good TV show. The early years <laughs> of Colonel Sanders. Sergeant Sanders. <laughs> it's like the Gotham of the Colonel <laughs> Sanders Oregon's story. <laughs> There's just little tie-ins to the world of like fried chicken, that, like a little subtle ones along <laughs> the way. Little Easter eggs, little, yeah. <laughs> little signs. Uh, or just his parents get killed in front of him, and then a whole lot of chickens fly by. Uh, Colonel Sanders got fired from a dozen jobs, was a lawyer who once assaulted his own client in court, started a restaurant that went out of business. It was second series of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. (laughs) And found himself broke at the age of 65. That's when he started KFC. He started KFC when he was 65. Wow. That's pretty good, actually. That means that you or I still might have a K- KFC up, up our sleeves. I've got 30 years before I even need to think about ideas. Right. Well, I mean, he might have been percolating on those ideas before that. You know what uh, I mean? Oh, yeah. My parents are still alive as well. Right. <laughs> yeah, you have to wait and see what they get killed by before you know what your <laughs> destiny is. <laughs> oh, God, I hope it's something practical and affordable. <laughs> a grand piano falling on them. What are the odds? <laughs> And it was a Steinway? Really? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll even be able to afford one of those. Piano Man Begins. (laughs) Billy Joel sues. (laughs) Uh, If a person's body... Do you reckon that was Billy Joel's original idea? That's the subtext of that song that's never mentioned. It's a song of Piano Man. He's in a full superhero costume. It's never, it's never I'm, a... I'm Piano Man. <laughs> well, sing us a song. No, you don't understand. I'm not a musician. Uh, no, I I'm, am Piano Man. I am Piano Man. I'm Piano Man. I'm Piano Man. <laughs> I'm yeah, well, sing us a song. No! No! I'm... <laughs> This is worse than when I tried to be Delivery Man. <laughs> I'm Batman. I'm Piano Man. You're not in... You are not in the Justice League, Piano Man. <laughs> Can I just play the, po- the... I'll just play the cocktail party. No, Piano Man. <laughs> I see you guys are having a fight. You need some background music? Stop it, Piano Man. There's one thing I know about fights. The piano is meant to stop when the fight happens. <laughs> Uh, If a person's body odour smells good to you Mm -hmm. It means that their immunity genes Are opposite to yours This allows higher chances For people with opposite immunity genes To mate Resulting in offspring With stronger immune systems That's plausible That's plausible (laughs) Doesn't necessarily sound right But it sounds plausible (laughs) That's very That's a very That's plausible fact That one That sounds like something That was uh, Suggested But not necessarily tested Right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, President Andrew Jackson's Pet parrot Was kicked out of Jackson's funeral For cursing Well he was probably upset I mean he would have been Right Yeah or maybe, like, he finally felt like he could speak. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, finally. 
Was and- Andrew Jackson one of the ones that was an, like he was a maniac? I think you're thinking about Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. No. That was good. <laughs> um, there was a story in the news today that Joe Jackson, father of Michael Jackson, has had a stroke. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I thought until halfway through the article that they're referring to the musician Joe Jackson, creator of the song Stepping Out, and is she really going out with him? I, yes, I, I once at, at high school uh-huh. uh, sang an a cappella version with some other guys at like a high school talent competition. We sang uh, an a cappella version of uh, is, is She Really Going Out With Him? How? Boom, boom, boom. That, like, yeah, the whole, like it's yeah. kind of doo-wop thing yeah, in the background. Yeah, like a doo-wop thing in the background. Which, what was your pitch? Which level? I was, well, I was certainly, you know how like uh, every boy band at the time had like a fat one? Right. Like, like for the, you know, the nerdy girls. In fact, in uh, like Joey Fatoni, whose name is literally Joey Fat One. Right. Like, he was the fat <laughs> one. Like, but there was always that guy. I yep. was that guy. I wasn't doing all, I was just kind of making up the numbers. <laughs> I was very much like the girls in Pitch Perfect who don't get to talk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's uh, finish up with one more before we go. Please. <clears throat> uh, okay. That, that one wasn't very good. Uh, all right. Uh, Chinese government. No. Um, or, oh, okay. Here we go. Cats. Uh, when a cat brings back dead animals, it is actually acting out its natural role as mother and teacher. Human owners represent the cat's surrogate family and they are teaching us how to catch and eat prey just as they would teach their young in the wild. That is interesting because I had to, I'm not a pet person, but I had to look after a friend's cat for a week. And I found myself towards the end of that week instinctively killing pigeons and small, various small mammals. (laughs) And just dragging them back to the house. And I was like, why is it? Why am I, why am I doing not, that? I don't ordinarily do this. Yeah. This and that does. Like out of character for me. <laughs> and I don't know why. In the end, they had to put a bell around my neck and it stopped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not allowed out at night now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, he's more a house mat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I... I'm getting a new pet today, Matt. In fact, well, not getting it here. I'm not going back to Australia for a couple of days. Yeah. But my new pet, but it is my pet. I bought, just bought myself a, a new pet. What is that pet? It's a dog. Okay. And uh, uh, Amy and I already have like, a, well, it's Amy's dog. Ramona is her dog. Okay. But, you know, we, we, we consider it our dog. Do you need to, is that you? Or is no, that is you. It's no? the other one oh, over there. My other phone. That's my Australian phone. Oh, when my Australian phone rings, that means it's either someone important or the bank. Do you want to pause and check it? No, fuck it. All right. Um, it's my Australian phone. I don't answer the Australian phone necessarily when it happens because I'm not in Australia. I could be doing anything. Good point. I could be recording a podcast. Well, hopefully you won't be. That's plausible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I, I um, so uh, Ramona, uh, our our dog, but Amy's dog, you know, uh, and she, her niece, so her, I think her sister just had puppies. 
Uh-huh. And so this dog is Ramona's niece, but will be her little sister, obviously, you know. And so, but is my, so I bought a dog for myself. So, like, we both have, you know, a dog each now, but, you know. And but so, Amy will do the majority of the look. That dog's not going to come back to America with I you. I think that maybe, well, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the research and investigation into, like, how, you, like, it's, it's easy for me to bring her over here. It's a little bit harder to take her back to Australia. Right, because Australia is extremely protective of its ecosystem. Right. Like, if you can't bring lettuce into Australia, a live animal might be tricky. Right. I'm essentially, like, Australia's like a girl, like, who's got a cold sore, and America is like Charlie Shane. Right. America <laughs> isn't going to catch anything that Australia has, but you might catch something much more severe back yeah. the other way. But so. Australia's like, listen, Look, we've made a couple of mistakes in the past. I know this is technically called herpes, yeah. but this is mouth herpes. This is not the same, Charlie yeah. Shane. <laughs> I got careless once. Right. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> Damn you, cane toads. Yeah, but I, apparently my understanding is that if you, if you're not visiting, you know, African farms or like whatever, right? That um, even the process going back is is manageable. So if I was going to be over here for a, I'm allowed to have a dog in the building here. This is a dog friendly building. Okay. And, uh, a lot of the places that we tour, as you would know, like you know, a lot of those places let you take your animals and stuff. So that's true. Like, I've, so, I know friends who take their pets on the road. Yeah. So the idea of like being in a place for a week and having like the dog with me is actually something that appeals to me. So and com- comedy clubs, not all of them. But a lot of comedy club stuff freaking love it when someone brings a cute pet into the room. Right. That'd be perfect. <laughs> you need right. someone to look after it while you're in the while you're on stage. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's like having yes. Or you take it on with you as a little sidekick. I mean, if things aren't going well, yeah. I mean, maybe I could put the dog in the act. Yeah, why not? Then it's a tax deduction. Why don't make yourself like a one of those dog acts that are always popular on TV? <laughs> Get it to do a couple of backflips and some. I could win America's Got Talent. You really could. Uh, all right, Matt Kirshen, where can people find you? They can listen to your podcast, uh, Probably Science. Please give that a listen. Yep. Uh, I know, thanks to you, we definitely have some crossover between the two shows. Uh, I'm on the road. Am I on the road a bit? I'm, not, I'm mostly in LA at the moment, although... If people want to find your gigs, is there somewhere that you post them regularly? Do you have a Well, I tweet them at Matt, Ker- tweet? at Matt Kirshen, and I, I'm, I meant to put them on my website. I'm not always the best at that, but mattkirshen.com. Rooster Tea Feathers in Sunnyvale. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm going to be there uh, the second weekend of September, and I think I'm going to be recording an album there, a new album. So anyone who lives anywhere near to the Bay or the South Bay, uh, if you're anywhere around that area, please come out. Please laugh big and have your laugh recorded for posterity. I have... Uh a bunch of listeners from that part of the world. I know that because I've played that club a bit and people come up and say good day. So please make sure that you go out and see those shows. <laughs> and it's you. a great club to, um, you know, it, that that's a really nice... I was t- talking to you about how good uh, Comedy on State in Madison is to record in. And I, I can see Shane Moss recorded his album there. Yeah. And Rooster Tea Feathers is a, a similar weird, sort of place. It's a weird old place, Sunnyvale, but I've played that club so many times and I have a good... I always have a good time there and a lot of people come out and they're... Because it's sort of in Silicon Valley, there's a... It has a smart, uh, fun audience. So I thought, eh, it might be a fun place to record. And so I'm going to be doing that. And if you know of any Burning Man tickets, message yep. me. I had a great time I will last pay. time I was there. Uh, I mean, not Burning Man, Rooster Teeth yeah. others. Uh, I had, the first time I'd experienced this, I had a bachelor party down the front. Did I tell you about you, this? We talked about this on uh, the yeah, show. Of, uh, cool. Yeah. It was amazing. Like, it was just one of those things where it's such a great 
fun place. Yes. You know, where you can throw out 35 minutes of your show and just riff and whatever. I think that's we- always a great sign of a club. Uh, people can see my freewheel show uh, in Sydney. It's like a week and a half away. Uh, the 7th and the 8th of August, two shows only at the M or Justin Hamilton doing support. They will sell out. So if you want to come and see it, this is uh, your chance to see freewheel in Sydney this year. So please come out. It's uh, my favorite show that I've ever done. And uh, there is a story about Rooster Tea Feathers, me losing my pants and getting locked naked out of the hotel room. That happened at Rooster Tea Feathers. But uh, people come out and see that show. And then October 9th and 10th in Perth, uh, Justin Hamilton as well with that LA Podcast Festival. Probably Science is doing a live show. Yes, we one. are. And uh, Tofop is doing a live show. Charlie and I are both flying over for that. So uh, get a ticket to the festival. But of course, there is going to be the live stream. So if you can't make it to LA, you will be able to buy a live stream ticket. You'll be able to put in a code for your favorite podcast and they will get a little kickback from that as well. Um, so uh, make sure that you do that if you can't make it to the LA Podcast Festival. Matt Kirshen, thank you so much for being involved. Mate, thank you uh, as this always. This is the last time we're going to see each other until Podfest. So. Uh, uh, yeah. Thanks for coming over. I appreciate it. Oh, dude. Safe travels. Enjoy. Mm-hmm.